Game seven, eight seconds left, home team down by one. Oh, the home team strips the ball and the point guard is all alone. But it appears that there's a wet spot on the free throw line. The fans go silent. Their championship aspirations flash before their eyes. Wait, someone's running out on the court. Oh my, it's the towel boy. How did he clean it so fast? The point guard takes off and dunks the ball. Game over, the crowd erupts. Towel boy, towel boy. Hello, everybody, and thank you for that delectable standing ovation. My name is Andy. And I'm Landon. And we are the Towel Boys. So welcome to Podcast 37, the All-Star edition of the Towel Boys this year. We have the NBA All-Star game coming up pretty soon in a couple of weeks. So Landon and I are going to break down who we think deserve to be a starter on All-Star Weekend, and also the reserves. So let's get right into it. Landon, what are some of the factors that went into your selections of this year's All-Star Game? What are, what are the most important things you look at when picking All-Stars? Well, I think the biggest thing that I look at is just overall impact on a team from my point of view, right? In the end, you shouldn't just use points and assists and rebounds to judge these guys because that's not fair to them. Each situation is different. Their coach could play them a certain amount of minutes, like Giannis, for instance, where if he was with a different coach, he could probably rack up more and more stats and accolades and be at the top of every list. But instead, Budenholzer is you know limited in his minutes, and that's just how it goes. So you got to think about those things. And then you got to take into account guys like Bradley Beal, who are on really bad teams but are putting up crazy numbers, and compare them with guys like, I don't know, Chris Middleton, for instance, the number two option on a very, very good Bucks team. So all of that kind of stuff is factored in, and it's not just you know a black and white solution. You really have to look into the gray areas and, and nitpick stuff between these guys. So are you saying that if Giannis played with Tom Thibodeau, who plays his guys 42 minutes a game, he's averaging 40 and 20? Yes. I definitively <laughs> say that those numbers would occur because... That's... Yeah, I was just, oh, man, Tibbs, what a guy. <laughs> and I'll say I, I, I'm i pretty similar. I, I do look at, um, overall, what players do I think, regardless of their team's record, has is making the biggest impact on basketball games and is really showing up on a day-to-day basis. For me, what really matters is consistency. An all-star to me is somebody who who shows up to work every day, puts it all out there on the floor, and really produces. And the guys that, that we both picked really really embody that that work ethic and really, really show it on the stat sheets as well. So let's get right into it with the East starters. All right, so I actually thought about these, you know, all year, like most basketball uh, analysts do, and I made a change recently. So right now, I have the guards as Bradley Beal, and this is where the change occurred. James Harden slotted in there. And then in the front court, Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Joel Embiid. I... As boring as this may sound, have the same starting five. Yeah. And I will break down the backcourt, and why don't you can go ahead and break down the front court after, and we can kind of yeah. add things as we see them. But to me, the first one's easy. Bradley Beal, 
is is undoubtedly an all-star starter this year. Got snubbed from the game altogether last year, which is absurd. Bradley Beal is leading the league in scoring. I think he's at, what, like 33-something a game? Yep. He's While he's on a terrible, terrible Wizards team, somehow they have a few wins. <laughs> they aren't the worst team in the league, even though talent-wise, without Westbrook at times, and, and when Beal's missed a few games, like they probably have maybe one of the least talented rosters in basketball. Scott Brooks, <laughs> he's an okay coach, but he's not bringing anything special. He's no Greg Popovich. What Bradley Beal is doing is absolutely insane. Not only is he a tremendous scorer, he's an efficient scorer, and he's a phenomenal playmaker. And that brings me into the second guy I have, playmaking. Wait, wait I have an important question. Sure. So Bradley Beal has played in 23 games. He is 8 of 15 in those games. What would the Wizards record be with Greg Popovich instead of Scott Brooks in those games? You said they were 8 and 15? In the games that Bradley Beal has played. I'd put him at 12 and 11. Wow. Okay. I was just wondering. So Greg Popovich makes a four-win difference. Look at the Spurs right now. No eye-popping names. The Spurs definitely have a good amount of talent, but a team like that where there's not really that much leadership. DeMar DeRozan is an experienced veteran. You have some other guys. Aldridge has been in and out of the lineup. But really, that in today's era, when your best player can't shoot threes that well, it's going to take a lot. And Greg Popovich is the best coach in the league for a reason. The Spurs are, what, fourth or fifth in the West? I could see the Wizards having four or five more wins. Maybe Pop would be an all-star starter. Oh, he's. They should really just name every NBA award after Greg Popovich. He deserves it, not only for on the court, but his interviews off the court. Just who he is. He's he's the best. All right, he'd be a great grandpa figure. And I'm done. But going back, talking about assists, James Harden leading the league in assists over 11 a game. It's my other starter. Harden's numbers scoring wise have dipped. Of course, he's now playing with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, taking way less shots. But I've been really impressed how he's been able to adapt and not really care that he's taking significantly less shots and really stepping up in moments like last night where we saw him without Kyrie and without Kevin Durant and putting the team on his back with a 38-point near triple-double coming back and beating the Suns. That was ridiculously impressive, and that game alone might have been what really nudged him over into the starter territory. Harden's been absolutely incredible. He has, and when I was thinking about this, I had Jalen Brown as an all-star starter up until the past week or so. Harden has been leading the league in assists pretty much the whole year, if not the whole year, and the thing about him was the whole trade demand weird request thing, that that whole situation kind of made it so that I didn't want to give him the benefit of the doubt when picking starters, despite his numbers being as insane as they were. But the guy has been incredibly efficient. His Nets team, since he's been there, has just racked up wins. He's meshed really well with all the players there. For instance, the Harden-DeAndre Jordan lob is beautiful as ever. And I don't know, just watching him navigate the court without two of their three best players who are you know top 20 guys both of them it's just impressive how he's able to go anywhere and just win with any players on the court 
Yeah, I could not agree more. Harden, who's been heavily criticized for just being a scorer and not really caring about winning early and, and really towards the end even of his Houston playing time, it's really turned it around on the Nets. And the, the decrease in shots, while he's still taking a good amount, um, the reason why he's still at it, he's averaging less than he has in, I think, like probably since his third or fourth year. And they're still it's still pretty close to some of his other shot attempts the last few years, but that's also because we're accounting for some of his Houston uh, games early in the season. I think he's probably only averaging like 12 or 13 shots a game when really he's used to 20 or 25. He's taking less free throws. I've just I've been impressed with his patience and, and understanding that, yeah, this, this is a team I've been traded to, and I'm going to adjust slowly, allow them to not feel like I'm just moving in to take over. And I think it's it's the three net stars have not only played well together, but they seem like they could end up making a run at the finals now, which is something that a lot of people were hesitant at given the supporting cast, but a lot of the credit to James Harden. Absolutely. And the nets have proven time and again, that their stars can carry them through the regular season. And these guys have all done it before in the playoffs. So when they get there, I feel pretty confident in their success in the East, at least. And that moves me right into the front court, starting with Kevin Durant. Now, this guy is shooting 52% from the field and 43% from three. This is all while averaging 29 points a game. He and James Harden are indisputably the two best scorers in the league. They are versatile in their attacks. They can get inside. They can dunk on your head. They can pull it out and shoot a step back three. They can literally do everything that you ask of them on the offensive end. The fact that I'm naming these two guys in the all-star starter team is just unfair. It reminds me of the Steph Curry, Kevin Durant days. It's just two top seven guys that are unguardable. And with Kevin Durant being said, he was in the MVP race before James Harden got there. Because of James Harden's, you know, just his star nature it kind of decreases Kevin Durant's run at the MVP because there are just so many stars on that team now. But his impact is as great as ever, and he's leading the Nets to wins. Could not agree more. Kevin Durant is playing like the old Kevin Durant. A lot of people were concerned because it was an Achilles, and that's the same injury that the late Kobe Bryant, who really never was the same after. And I, That's a serious injury, an Achilles injury really can affect athleticism, explosion. The good thing for Kevin Durant is that a lot of his shots are, are pull-ups and he's able to shoot over anybody. And that's carried him and, and really is his primary scoring threat that allows him to do everything else off the dribble. But like you said, he's averaging, shooting over 50%, putting up 29 points a game on a Nets team that has two other primary scorers who are used to the ball in their hands and are used to scoring. It's incredibly impressive what he's doing. His defense hasn't really dropped off too much since the injury. He's back to being Kevin Durant, top two, top three player in the league. He will just always be effective because of his ability to shoot over people. Now, let's talk about a guy who cannot shoot over people. (laughs) Giannis Antetokounmpo coming in at the starting four position on the all-star team. Giannis is very troubling to assess because 
he does all of these things in the regular season. We hit the postseason. He's chucking up bricks. He's getting walled up against. And his team usually is not good enough to win enough games to advance far in the postseason. I, I, Giannis deserves a starting spot. He's just a beast night in and night out. He's averaging 28, 11, and 6. I mean, those are ridiculous numbers. But it's all coming at a four-game losing streak and the fact that he's just never a playoff performer. And he deserves a spot. It's just he's not in the MVP race for a reason. He's just not trustworthy anymore. I don't want to go that far, say he's not trustworthy. And I, I understand the, the playoff struggles. Let's, let's pump the brakes a little bit because Giannis is only 26. And a lot of NBA stars, for example, Steph Curry, really didn't take off until they were 25, 26, 27. He's still entering his prime. And that's crazy to say because at 23 or at 24 and 25, excuse me, he won back to back MVPs. But Giannis is still young, still has time to figure it out. But I do agree the shooting is a concern. Shooting under 30% from three is not effective. It means he's probably not going to be taking shots in the playoffs. And that's an issue for somebody who has a back to back MVP. You do need to push towards the finals or else people start to question it. So I, I am hesitant to buy into Giannis becoming that next generational talent, which we've talked about in the past. But at the same time, I'm not overly concerned because he has time to figure it out. They made changes this year, or they've lost some depth. They added Drew Holiday. But looking more specifically at Giannis, he's putting up insane numbers again. The impact is clearly there. He's a phenomenal defender, really aggressive player. While he fouls a lot, he's able to get inside into the paint, draw contact, and... Obviously, Giannis deserves to be a starter in the East. He's just that good. He is. I, I I don't know what to say about this guy anymore. I just all of this doesn't matter. He just has to do it when it you know when it counts. Of course, but give him time. Don't don't overreact. He's twenty six. The expectations are through the roofs from a guy who was not even supposed to be a starter in the league. Let's give it time. Well. Okay, but those expectations have changed, of course. Right. And I think the biggest problem for me is that even when LeBron wasn't a good shooter, for instance, in his first, you know, X amount of years, six years before he got to Miami, his shot always looked fluid and he could hit it in big moments. Giannis's shot is not fluid at all. He has to be like, standing completely still for it to have any chance of going in and he does it at inopportune times when like the defense is just giving it to him and he knows it everybody knows it but he'll still take that shot and he bricks it very often and when he does it in the playoffs it kills his team so that's why I'm concerned it's just the fluidity of the shot it's not there sure that's fair I'll go ahead. I'll, I'll jump in for the last East starter, probably the most obvious one, Joel Embiid. Probably, that, yeah, maybe okay. MVP frontrunner, definitely a top three MVP candidate, should be unanimously. I don't, I don't even think that's in question. Embiid's putting up ridiculous numbers on, I believe they're still number one in the East. He's putting up almost 30 a game, 11 rebounds, three assists. Joel Embiid is shooting 40% from three. 
that is unbelievably impressive. Over 54% from the field. The numbers across the board are crazy. We know the impact. Embiid is one of the best players in the league, even at the center position at drawing contact, whether it's flopping, if you want to call it, whether whatever yeah. it is, <laughs> be it just gamesmanship, just the, the shimmy. It's Joel Embiid. He brings the charisma. His team is winning because of him, and he's he's just that dominant. I I would personally say I have LeBron James as the front runner right now. But Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic are clear two and three for me. Which order, I haven't thought about it too much. But Embiid is having the most dominant season of his career. And it's very important that you mention the 40% from three because that gives Ben Simmons a lot more room to operate. If he can do that enough to get teams to respect him in the playoffs from out there, Yeah, that would change a lot for this team. So... That development should be very noteworthy to everybody. Absolutely. It's it's a great point. And while we're on the Sixers, I'll chime in real quick. I don't even think the key is Embiid or Simmons. You've heard me say this time and time again. The key to the 76ers is Tobias Harris playing well in the playoffs. And maybe with Doc Rivers back when he really excelled at, at the Clippers, maybe that maybe that's what the Sixers need to push him over the edge and maybe make the East Finals, maybe give Brooklyn a run for their money. Who's guarding Embiid on, on Brooklyn? I don't know. Nobody. I mean, that like, yeah, both Brooklyn and Boston, actually. Right. They have nobody. But, so that's a good matchup. Yeah. Those are our unanimous East starters. Let's kind of go over the players first that we agree on, and then we can argue and have some fun after that. So why don't you go ahead and start naming some of the, some of your East reserves? that I also have. Okay, so Kyrie, Jalen, um, Zach Levine, Jason Tatum, Julius Randle, and Bam Adebayo. Those are the ones we agree on, correct? Yes. Did I skip anybody? Nope. Six out of seven. Very oh. similar East rosters, but... So let's just talk about that last spot then. So... I have DeMontis Sabonis here, and you have? I have Nikola Vucevic. Vucevic, excuse me. So so let's just talk about these two players here. So actually, you know what? Before we do that, let's go through the last few. Kyrie Irving, indisputable all-star. He's averaging a ton of points. He's a third wheel on the Nets, but he is a very valuable third wheel at that. If either of the other stars miss, he can take over. Not to mention the fact that even with Harden and Durant on the team, Kyrie can be the focal point of that offense, even with both of them on the floor. I'd like to quickly interject and sure. just share this incredibly impressive stat as to how how the heck is Kyrie Irving shooting over 44% from three? On seven attempts, there you go. that is yep. the most impressive stat line. He's been shooting excellently well. And you know we talked about this a week or two ago where I was concerned about Kyrie's lack of lack of games played. Maybe that will affect his all-star status, but he's been that amazing lately that I have to include him. There's just no other way. Yep, he's a human highlight reel. Unfortunately, that nickname is taken, but Kyrie <laughs> is along those same lines. Next, Jalen Brown. Could have been an all-star starter. He had a ridiculously hot start to this year. 
He's kind of cooled off recently with the reemergence of Jason Tatum, who's been playing a lot better aside from that one blip game where he shot like three for 20 or whatever. Um, Jalen, between the shooting and the defense and the just ever-increasing playmaking, I, I, Jalen Brown might be my favorite player to watch, not on my favorite team. That's fair. <laughs> He's, he plays hard every night. He brings incredible intensity, intensity defensively. And he's got a wicked good shot. Jalen Brown's mid-range is one of the best mid-range shots in the league. And he's a really good three-point shooter. It's just, it's that simple that the last year, he wasn't necessarily top five and most improved, but you know he was there. And he's kind of hovering in that same territory where the points per game increase isn't drastic enough to say, yeah, this guy really deserves most improved player. But he's been consistently getting better. He's just, he's still 24. I mean, there, I don't see a ceiling for Jalen Brown. He really can be one of the best two-way players in the league in the next couple of years. He certainly can. And I'm excited to see where his development goes. This year, he is an indisputable all-star. So next, Zach Levine. The Bulls are not very good. They're actually bad. But with all of that being said, Zach Levine is the one bright spot on that team. He is always putting up major numbers no matter what defense is thrown at him. He's just a pure scorer, and you got to respect him because that guy can completely change a game by just hitting clutch shots and being the focal point of their offense. I This one, to me, seems very comparable to Bradley Beal last year. Bradley Beal was snubbed completely off, not just a starter, who Trey Young, I believe, was he either started or he was one of the top vote-getters last year. Bradley Beal didn't even make the All-Star game, and people were freaking out. And, and the reasoning was, well, your defense isn't very good and your team stinks. Looking at Zach Levine, his defense is better than Bradley Beal's. He's no lockdown defender, but putting up phenomenal offensive numbers. And what really stands out to me about Zach Levine is not just the numbers are great, but the efficiency, shooting 43% from three, 51% from the field, putting up over 28, five and a half, and five assists. The numbers are too good to ignore. Like you said, the one bright spot on the Bulls who have been dreadful, but imagine the Bulls without Zach Levine. They probably have four or five wins right now. That's a G League team, yeah. I It really might be. And no disrespect to the young guys, Kobe White, Wendell Carter Jr., Lowry Markinen, who's been better. Zach Levine is your team right now. He's playing phenomenal basketball, and that that's that. He deserves to be recognized for it. All right, next, the other Celtic, Jason Tatum, another two-way dominant wing who has hit some really clutch shots this year to put his team up to some wins. He did not have the best Eastern Conference Finals last year, but he's been improving this year even from his excellent performances throughout the regular season of last year. And he's becoming one of the most dependable players in the league in that you can count on him on him almost every night to score the ball. This one was tough for me. I have Tatum on my team, but he is one of those wild card slots, one of the last two picks that I would have selected, like assuming I am this super important all-star committee, which I am not. 
But Tatum, yes, the points have gone up, and some of the other stats, like the assists and, and other things, have also gone up. But at the same time, I've seen some regression that has concerned me. Like you said, that he's had a couple of games where he's off shooting-wise, and some of the things that, that I really expected from Tatum to happen this year haven't been, as we saw at the end of last year, he was balling before the bubble occurred, and then obviously in the bubble he was making big shots. I'm not taking anything away from Jason Tatum's year this year. I guess the reason why I'm including him is because he's still putting up great numbers. It's just the expectations that I had, I've been disappointed from that. Right, well, this guy's supposed to be comparable to Luca. Like, that's right. the comparison everybody's been making, and he is not at that level, unfortunately. No. He's still, he's 22. He has plenty of time, but everybody wants that jump now because it, it's, that's the, that's the nature of humans. We're impatient. We want Jason Tatum to just become LeBron James now. We want, like, everybody's like, oh, Jason Tatum's the future of the league. Let's see it. And it's going to take time, but he's an all-star this year. Yes, and that moves us into our next co-pick, Julius Randle. Now, a lot of guys that I've been hearing recently on podcasts have been leaving Julius Randle out, and I think a lot of it is just bias against the Knicks as an organization. But Julius Randle is doing things that Bam Adebayo and DeMontis Sabonis do, and he's doing it on a team that has a better record than the Heat. And I'm not sure exactly where they rank compared to the Pacers, but I think they're like a game or a half game back from them. So Randall has pretty much elevated himself to that level of the power forward, do-it-all wing that can run an offense when needed to. There's one pick in the East and one pick in the West who are my picks and I'm proud of that I'm 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 really happy that I'm picking them and I'm happy they have a really good chance of making it. It's just a good story. And that is definitely Julius Randle out of the East for me. Julius Randle might he might retire as one of the most underrated players in NBA history. If you go to his stats, it, when you think of Julius Randle, you probably think of either a bust or an average NBA player. But the fact of the matter is he's always been a very good scorer. He's been a very solid rebounder. He's got this big frame. And the passing has just improved significantly this year to the point where now he is considered a playmaker and a threat, shooting 40% from three, which is like significantly better than last year, buying into this Thibodeau system, playing solid defense. I don't see a way that he should not make the All-Star game. Like you said, the Knicks are in the playoff situation. Julius Randle is clearly the best player on that team, averaging over 23-11, and 11. Five and a half assists. The numbers are there. The production is there. The team's success is there. The advanced stats are there. Why is he not being considered by everybody as an all-star? I think when people think of Julius Randle, the first thing they think of is that day in, I believe it was July, two years ago, when Stephen A. Smith heard that the Knicks did not indeed get Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant or the number one pick in the draft, but instead signed Julius Randle to, a, I believe, a two-year contract. So 
I think that the perception of Julius Randle when that whole free agency thing went down and the Nets ended up with Kyrie and Durant while the lowly Knicks got Julius Randle, I think that kind of tainted his legacy in a very unfair manner. And now looking at how he's responded to that and come out and been an all-star this year, insane props to Julius Randle for just rising above all of the BS with the Knicks and everybody should consider this guy for, for a spot. Yeah. And just an overall shout out to the Knicks for playing really good basketball. I know we kind of, we kind of made fun of them a lot over the off season, if you remember, but you know, let's try to brush that off. And I I'm happy for the Knicks. I'm, I'm glad they're, they're playing good basketball, but let's, let's move on to the last shared all-star reserve we have. And that's Bam Adebayo who has really picked off from his postseason play, averaging almost 20, 9.5 rebounds and over 5 assists. The growth from Bam, from a playmaking perspective, from two years ago to last year was insane. He's kept it up. He's improved on several other aspects of his game, such as being even more efficient from the field, getting to the free throw line more, and shooting way better at that from the free throw line, and, and just being a more important piece of the, the Miami Heat, which we saw more in the playoffs. So I, I definitely think he deserves to be on there. He's one of the best young bigs in the league. And he's, I mean, Jimmy Butler's missed some time. Can you imagine if Bam Adebayo also missed some time? I don't know if the Heat would win more than, the, the Heat might be one of the worst teams in the East right now. They probably would be tied probably with the right Pistons. There with the Pistons, the right? Worst. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And Bam has incredible importance to the heat because he is not only the center of what they do on defense but also on offense all of those dribble handoff actions that you watch the heat run it it just really lends itself to bam being a playmaker on both ends of the court and the biggest thing with this guy is the shooting both from the free throw line and from mid-range he's improved dramatically in both areas And because of that, teams have to respect his shot now or else they're going to pay in the form of a BAM mid-range jumper. It's interesting to watch the dynamic because, for instance, the other night, DeMarcus Cousins was just dropping on BAM and letting him take shots, you know, from 12 feet away. And after a few go in, they start to close out and then it changes things for BAM's teammates. So, yes, BAM deserves an all-star spot. He's a two-way player. Now time for the debate. Your last all-star reserve for the Eastern Conference is? DeMontis Sabonis. And why? Well, the Pacers deserve an all-star, first of all. They are currently, I believe, the fifth seed in the East. They're at a 500 record, but that does not convey how good the Pacers are. They've just been injured and dealt with the Victor Oladipo trade. They have not had Karis LeVert play a minute for them yet. TJ Warren's been out. Miles Turner has been in and out. Jeremy Lamb came back halfway through this first half of the season. They Once they put everything together, they are going to be a dangerous team. And everything Bam does for the Heat on offense is the same thing that DeMontis Sabonis does for the Pacers offense, except even more so because 
DeMontis Sabonis has a lot of offensive tools as, as in like scoring weapons, whether it's the jump hook, just bullying someone down low until he can just get in a nice layup position. He gets the same amount of assists. He gets screen assists. He just does everything for the Pacers. And while they have Malcolm Brogdon, who does a great job of running the offense as well, it's really Sabonis at the heart of that team. And I cannot disagree with that really at all. Any, uh, most of what you said, I, I, I stand for. I love DeMontis Sabonis is a fantastic player. The assists are there, like you said. He's a phenomenal playmaker for a big man. He's a very good scorer, and he's a really good rebounder. The problem yeah. I have with leaving out Nikola Vucevic, which is my pick, who I have as the last spot over DeMontis Sabonis, is that simply, while Sabonis is to the Pacers' offense what a guy like Bam is, and he's that important centerpiece, Nikola Vucevic is the Magic offense. He is the offense. The Magic are the third worst offense in the league. He's putting up, I think it's about 24 points a game, 11.5 rebounds, 3.5 assists. Vooch is shooting 43% from three, 48% from the field. He's putting up about a quarter of the Magic's points on a team that is really not talented at all. The rest of this team, Evan Fournier, who's only played in like half their games. All right, like Terrence Ross comes off the bench. He's really good. Aaron Gordon's missed some time. Fultz is out for the year. Jonathan Isaac's out for the year. Cole Anthony, who's getting like sizable minutes, who's a good rookie. He's a rookie. If you compare the rosters of the Magic to the Pacers, there is no comparison. Vucevic is doing everything for this team, and I have a problem leaving him off when he's being this productive, keeping them somewhat afloat at 10 and 18. It's not a great record, but they would be much, much worse without him. I That that team, talk about a bad team. The Magic would be the worst team in the East and probably worse than the Timberwolves if they didn't have Vucevic. He is that important, and something about it, as great as Sabonis is, he has other guys like Brogdon that share the load. Nikola Vucevic is doing everything, and for that, I have to include him as my last all-star. I agree with that too, right? I mean, everything both of us are saying, like, it's all correct. The problem is this is just a complete opinion-based slot, and when you get down to the margins here, it's just all personal preference. And I had a... I had serious trouble leaving Vooch off. I looked at these lists for like 10 minutes, just staring at it. Like, can I take anybody off to put Vooch in here? And for me, the answer was no, but I respect the fact that you needed to include him. He's playing crazy efficient basketball for a really bad team. And like you said, just keeping them afloat. The Vooch, Sabonis, Bam, Julius Randle, these guys are all very similar for big men. They're all doing similar things this year. I understand. Like, I I can't decide enough between them to just tell you you're wrong. All I can say is that what Sabonis does for the Pacers on a be- uh, just a clearly better team meant more to me. Yeah, and, th- and that's fair. Let's look back at the Hawks, who never— let- Remember the Atlanta Hawks team with Teague and, and Corver and Corford and Millsap? They had four yep. All-Stars on a team that, that none of them were top— I, I don't think any of them were top 25 players. Maybe right. maybe Horford pushed that year top 25, but not really. So 
we've seen in the past the NBA has awarded players on really good teams. So I would completely understand if the NBA wants to put players on teams who are really good in the All-Star game, a.k.a. like like the Mike Conley argument, which we'll get to later, could make the All-Star game, mainly because the Jazz are 22-5. and Kind of similar to the Hawks, in my opinion. But some of these guys, like Zach Levine and Bradley Beal, just have to make it because they're that good. That's kind of where I see Vooch this year. That's why I included them. But I think we can both agree on this. Regardless of who we think should be making it, the NBA should expand the rosters to 15 spots on each side because there are some really, really amazing players who get left out. And I don't see a downside to not expanding it. You're, If anything, you're going to open up more. You're going to include more fan bases that don't currently have players in. You're going to create more excitement for the game. Players are going to play less, which is fine because it's the All-Star game. You just want to be there. Come on, Adam Silver. 15 spots. I generally would like to see that. I have two potential issues with it. The first being, it's always been 12 as far as I know. It's been 12 for a while at least. And that would mean that when you're looking at the history books, people that are a 10-time All-Star in 30 years, it means less in the current day than it did back when Larry and Magic were playing, for instance. Like, more people could gain that kind of accolade. Sure. The second problem I have, the game itself already suffers from not having the worst players, the the lesser stars playing enough. And when you expand to 15, there just aren't enough minutes to go around. Those are the two problems I have with it. So the, I, I'd like to push back on the first problem by saying that's really any change in the NBA. Like if you look at the scoring difference with the three-point line versus not having the three-point line, of course it's different. Same thing with minutes per game and just kind of how players played in eras. If you if you expand the All-Star game, it's kind of this new All-Star era where maybe accolades are hyped up a little bit more. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I think players should be awarded. If anything, it's going to boost incentives and contracts and help these players get paid more. Um, even some of the younger guys who aren't necessarily set for life who can make an All-Star game and get them a million-dollar boost or something. That's one of the reasons. I, I don't necessarily fear for that. The second one, sure, if you want to argue a minutes thing, yeah, players only play 15, 17 minutes now, but I don't really care. It's the All-Star game. I don't, I don't see an issue with that either. But that's more of a personal preference, that second issue, than the, like the, ob- the objective argument in the first one. Right. That's, but, that's reasonable, for sure. Yeah. So why don't, we, why don't we actually put this on pause, and we'll continue with the West in the next podcast. We're going to make you guys, all you amazing listeners, wait for Podcast 38 to talk about the West All-Stars. But as always, thank you guys for tuning in, and stay, stay aware of our social media posts on Instagram and Twitter. We love posting. We love when you guys interact. Please continue to do so. Go to www.thetowelboys.com for merchandise. We have white and black hats that are selling out fast. Only have We have less than 50 left in stock. So check those out. They are really nice. As always, thanks guys for listening. Always remember to embrace your inner towel boy.